well, you could give away all that money. Well, yes, I could, or I can grow it and give a whole lot more by not just jumping the gun and giving everything away right now. Right. I can do a whole lot more with this and I can make sure that I'm going to be able to do it every year for the next 20 years, not just do it one year. And now all of a sudden this fruit that was there this year is not going to be there next year. So maybe your ministry gets to have this huge influx of capital and you get to do one really great thing this year. What if I could become a faithful ministry partner with you and through my investing, through my stewarding my assets, well, go, hey, that's really cool. I want you to be able to do it every year for the rest of my life. So let's just do that instead. This podcast is brought to you by King's Council Coaching. The mission of the King's Council is to help you discover, develop, and deploy your God-given talents and abilities. In order to leave a legacy, you need to live your legacy of excellence through the five power pillars, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Now, our programs are specifically designed to give you the blueprint and strategies that you need to gain an edge in the most important areas of your life. If you're an entrepreneur ready to upgrade your finances and align yourself with other powerful kingdom-minded men and women, visit kingscouncilcoaching.com to start your legacy of excellence today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, Director of Member Relationships over here at the King's Council. And today our guest is Brian McDaniel. Brian, it is such a privilege to have you on. It's good to be here, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, Brian, to give people a little bit of background, your family has been in real estate and on the investment side of things in the Atlanta area for really the past 100 years. Am I right in saying that? Yep. So it started with my great-grandfather when the Dust Bowl and Great Depression both hit in the Southeast. He saw an opportunity to exchange a lifetime of medical care for a piece of dirt that people couldn't even give away at that time. Wow. That's amazing. So as a kid growing up, I mean, were you just surrounded in the real estate environment or how did that look for you? It was not a constant thing. It was in the background constantly. My dad was very involved in a lot of those properties and and things that happened over the last probably 30 years, maybe 40 years in our family. They're really probably the past 30. And I would hear him talking about, oh yeah, I got to go up to this meeting with McDaniel Enterprises. We're going to talk about this property. We're doing a build to suit for AutoZone or Chick-fil-A or somebody like that. And just hearing the way that some of those deals were structured and like, oh, that's a real thing. You can have a piece of property and go under contract with someone for a building that's not there yet, but use the value of what that's going to bring for them as leverage for your sale price. Just things like that, understanding real estate outside of buying and selling a house, a building, a piece of land, whatever it is. So why don't you give listeners a little bit of your story and whether or not you always knew you were going to be in real estate or obviously now you're extremely successful in real estate. But yeah, give us some of the background of your roots, where you came from and how this developed into something that you do full time now. Came from that family growing up in a pretty decently well-to-do family. I mean, we weren't rich and didn't have money coming out of our years and flashy stuff all over the place. But my parents always did well. Of course, my dad was very wise with the real estate investments, the money he made from that, taking it, investing it elsewhere and always working. He still is, probably will be for the rest of his life. So I had that example of someone who works hard and really enjoys it and sees the purpose in it. I grew up with that, had a brother and a sister and a good, solid family home. We always attended church, grew up in that Christian family and went through middle school, high school, all that stuff and didn't really do the traditional college route. I went from being a really, really good student to not really a good student at all. Went into automotive school, did that for a little over a year. That didn't work. And that time, I transitioned out of that, talked to the pastor locally, and he told me about Ligonier Academy that was coming to Sanford, this Bible college. And I said, okay, well, makes sense. Grew up in a Christian family, right? It's right here in Sanford, same city we lived in. So sure, I'll do that. Ended up getting into Bible college there. In that time, realized that I wasn't a Christian, farthest thing from it. Again, long story short, dropped out of Bible college to go deal drugs, got saved, Wow. went back into Bible college, <laughs> and the same college, talked to the pastors and talked to 
a few of the professors there just kind of saw that it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's always good and helpful, which is the whole reason that school got started. It's just as important for that blue collar person to learn the Bible and learn that truth as it is for someone going into ministry. We all need to learn it, right? But that was not a vocational call for me. That wasn't the long-term thing. I wanted to have a family. So started working, got a full-time job, met my wife at the same church that's on campus with that school. So everything stayed very local there. And I just started doing whatever work I could. And by God's grace, it's been a step up every single time from one job to another. So I went from working in Walmart to working in a hardware store to working in a manufacturing warehouse to driving a semi to doing sales back to driving a semi to doing sales again to construction and maintenance work and all over the place, round and around and around to sales and franchise management in sales. It kind of got to that tier of now you're the guy managing stuff. You can get a salary, get bonuses, get all this stuff that people always want. They just saw that it was not fulfilling at all. It wasn't the route I wanted to go down. Because no matter what, there's always a ceiling there. Sure, you can be a manager, but that manager's title, their ability, their flexibility, mobility stops here. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you can get that one more promotion, get a little bit higher ceiling, but there's still a ceiling. Mm. And I knew I didn't like the way that felt. Sorry, just to interrupt you for a sec, but help me understand this. Your family's been in real estate for 100 years I mean, I would have thought the natural trajectory would be for you to just expect to go into real estate. Was that not the case for you? Not at all. So when I talk about my family being in real estate, my dad, his dad, his granddad, they didn't have real estate licenses. It was our family owns and manages these assets and these assets produce money. So it's kind of there. But it didn't click for a very long time. Hey, you should just get into real estate and get to that path of managing and owning and controlling those assets. Right. Again, it didn't click for a long time. Alexis and I talked about real estate for six years, five and a half years since we got married. Like, hey, this would make a lot of sense to do with what your family does in construction, what I do in this kind of thing and where my family's come from. That would make a lot of sense, but we just didn't do it. It was that big, scary jump Mm. to go from Jobs where I know I'm going to make X amount per hour, work this many hours, which means I make this much per day, per week, per month, per year, to right. I'm going to do this thing with no guarantee that anyone's ever going to give me a single penny. That was a, right. a big change. <laughs> but I did go into 100% commission sales before that. So that's where I was when I decided to get into real estate. I went from the commission, no base sales job into management, making less money, and then went, wow. If I can make more money over there selling windows and doors, I could probably make a whole lot more money just selling the entire house. Like we should probably look into doing this. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't that connection of watching my dad grow up as a real estate agent and generations of that. Sure. It was more of a background thing that we didn't talk about a whole lot, which to me now looking back is kind of weird. But yeah, it wasn't a big focal point. It was just kind of back there. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, I definitely want to circle back around to real estate, but let's talk about King's Council for a second, because you're one of the upper room members in King's Council. And I know we've talked about this before, but I see you as one of the absolute pillars right at the center of this movement. What drew you to King's Council initially? And really, what fires you up when we talk about King's Council as a coaching company? What drew me to King's Council, me and Alexis, because we're both in there, we're both upper room members and saw the value in both of us joining. And she doesn't have a business, but being there around the same teaching and the same people is so impactful. It's not just a, oh, I have a business, I need to be there kind of thing. So Mm. I went to a mastermind in Dallas and there was a couple guys from King's Council there. And Steve was on stage talking about his past and conquering those difficult things in life or conquering your past, the things that have happened to you, not so much focusing on the idea that most people have of coping with those issues or getting over that hump, but the idea of excellence, of championing the things around you and not getting around or getting past those problems or struggles or trials or whatever, but conquering them. I mean, absolutely Mm. just throwing a spear in it and being done, killing it and going on and coming out the other side even better. So I knew I needed some guidance. I knew I needed coaching and I knew I wanted it to be faith-based. So I go to the conference. There's all these people that might talk about God, talk about Jesus, but did not care whatsoever when it came to changing the way they lived. It wasn't about the Bible says this, 
the Bible's the word of God. I'm going to do it. It was just, oh, I like this idea of faith in God and it gives me a good basis to, to say why I believe I'm doing something good instead of something bad. But hearing that there was a group that was actually faith-based coaching was like, okay, that's where I need to be. And Alexis and I were not in a great place at that time, just with communication and I mean, all the struggles that come with marriage. So hearing that and knowing that there's people out there who are doing things well, they're doing them in excellence, they're doing it based on the Bible. This is all encompassing. It's faith, it's physical, financial, emotional, mental, all of it, exactly what we know we need to work on. And it's all in one place. So I called her Mm. literally in tears from outside of this conference room and said, we got it. I know why I'm here. Didn't know why I really went to that conference. I knew there was something. I had no clue what it was. It just said, this is it. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what it is. We're getting home. We're making this change. And Mm. she had enough faith in God to go, okay, let's do it. Give it a try. We'll see if this works. And it changed every part of us, our lives, our mindsets, our worldview, the way we approach everything that we're doing and what we're doing. So I went from being in this real estate team and doing pretty well, but finding myself in the same spot where I had tons of upward mobility, but every level of it had a ceiling to getting on these coaching calls and talking to Scott and Riley one-on-one and like, you need to jump. You're never going to be able to do what you need to, to be obedient to God when you're constantly under somebody else's ceiling. You need to remove that. You need to jump. You need to go. So we did. And it's been amazing. That is amazing. So you mentioned the five power pillars, which I know we talk a lot about the physical, the spiritual, the financial, the emotional, and the mental. And you said that you knew you needed guidance. Was that in all areas or was there one of those areas specifically that you felt like I really need somebody to coach me in this specific area? Yeah. At that time, the biggest thing on my mind was I know that I need to make changes to mindset and with finances. Those are probably the biggest two things on my mind because I'm going to this business conference. That's what I'm expecting to hear. Mm -hmm. And I knew there were going to be a lot of coaches and so-called experts and that kind of stuff there. So that was my goal is to go there and to identify who it was that I was going to seek after and start following, listening to get some coaching and training from. Who's this mentor going to be for me? And instead of a person ended up being a family, we call it a tribe and a family all the time. And it is. Absolutely. And you said one of those things that you put your flag in the ground on was, if I'm going to get coaching, I want it to be faith-based. Why was that so important to you? To not sit here and harp on anybody or anything like that, but the mentorship I had around me at the time was very worldly. There was some great wisdom in there, a lot of good advice, good experience from someone very solid in what they were doing, knew what they were talking about. But anytime these conversations kept coming up to bigger stuff, bigger picture, we talk about vision mission, purpose. Now, that's what was going through my head. I didn't understand it. It wasn't formulated in that way, but that's what it was. That's great that I'm on this mission. What's the vision for it? What's the purpose for it? And anytime the conversations would go further than the next paycheck or the next year, or maybe even the next five years of just, in that case, building someone else's dream and this good thing they wanted to build, it wasn't what I wanted to build though. It wasn't what was going to serve my family. It wasn't going to allow me to accomplish the big goal I had. So anytime we had those conversations, it was just always about money. It was about things. It was about lifestyle. And I was actually just saying this to Alexis last night, I think on our drive home from the airport. When I was talking to him, to my mentor at that time, the guy that was at the head of this real estate agency about my goals. And he says, well, what's the really, really big goal? We're talking about finances. I said, well, I want to be a billionaire by the time I'm 45. He goes, well, why? You know, a billion is like, that's way too much. I don't need a billion dollars and all this stuff. And that was the whole problem. He's looking at it as I don't need a billion dollars, which is true. And that's great. Mm. But the reason was I don't need a billion dollars because I can afford all the things I want with way less than a billion dollars. It's just constantly, what are the things I want? What money do I need to just take care of me and my interests? So right. It's not to say that he wasn't a giving person that had a heart to give to a lot of other people. He was. But when it came down to the core of it, it's all structured around how much do I need to make my dream happen? And that's not biblical. It's not godly. It's not what I was looking for at all. It's not what Alexis and I wanted. I know that's not right. It's not proper. It's just at the core of it. It's our flesh, right? 
Mm. Even our best intentions and our best motives are simply self-serving when you push far enough down into the core of what it really is and why we do it. It might look really good, but at some point when you get down to it, there's a sinful root for whatever that fruit is that you're growing. So unless it's coming straight from scripture, unless it's coming from the Bible, it's always going to go back to that. Yeah. And here's one of the things I love about you so much, Brian, is that I do think a lot of people have that sense of whether it be their individual mission that they're on, or maybe they extend that out to their wife and kids, their immediate family. But I see you as somebody that really has this bigger vision of, yes, I want to take care of myself. Yes, I want to take care of my family, but I also am on mission with the people of God. And that goes bigger than King's Council. I mean, really, what I'm seeing is that there seems to be a move of God right now in the business world, in the marketplace. It seems to be like there's miraculous activity happening that only God could do. I mean, what do you see in these days or what fires you up when you think about not just, okay, can I get a nicer car for my family or can I get a nicer house for my family, but on a big scale, people of God on mission together in the marketplace. I mean, what are some of the things that are exciting you right now when you think of that bigger picture? So to explain that personally, again, we made that jump from a real estate team to being solo with really no solid base for how to move forward and make money. But this last year in doing that, we made and we tithed and gave away more money than we have ever before. So wow, that's that actually shocks me. If I could just interject for a moment. I mean, because you took the risk of kind of leaving the golden handcuffs of security and guaranteed money to where you say, okay, I'm going to jump, do this on my own. I literally have nothing around me, no safety net. And you just said that you tie, that you made more and gave more than you had ever done before. Am I hearing that right? Yeah. And not just dollar amount, percentage wise, we gave more than we've ever been able to. I want to say almost or right at twice as much percentage-wise as we have Wow! without intentionally necessarily doing that. I mean, it wasn't the goal that we would do that, but that goes to what I was going to say. Our lifestyle, the money that we need to live, the lifestyle that we're accustomed to living is here and we made here. So that means next time when this goes way up, this goes way down. Now we've made this much and we only needed this much. So all of this gets utilized. All of that can be given. It can be put into action. It can be used. We can put that money to work. And when you talk about what we're seeing right now in the marketplace, this past week has been absolutely incredible. Give a quick overview. Alexis and I laid down Christmas night and just prayed for opportunity with the coming year, an opportunity for business. Yeah, we made more and we gave away more and all that, but it certainly hasn't been easy. And we're still pushing through that and and it's constantly a fight. So we just laid down and prayed for opportunity. And it was one of those prayers where you just kind of feel like something's different. And I kept thinking about that. And the verse, a broken and contrite heart, I will not refuse, just kept coming to my mind. I was like, well, that's honestly probably what it was. She and I were both just bare and broken before the Lord and completely submitted to his will. No expectation of what we were asking for, just Whatever it is, God, provide opportunity. The next day, my phone rings from a guy I've never spoken to before. Still don't know how exactly he found me. He called me up after messaging me on this app. He goes, hey, so I hear you're working with a bunch of real estate investors. You're looking for more deals. I'm looking for single family properties to flip with my partner. So we kind of talk about some stuff. He's got some interesting multifamily. And then he says, well, do you like international stuff? I said, yeah, I guess I do now. Sure. What do you got? So we start talking (laughs) about this stuff. And you know, my world goes from, man, I sold a $1.4 million house. This is amazing. My mind's blown to, we're literally looking at stuff 350, 400 times bigger than that from that one phone call. And wow. then the next one that comes after that, same guy, which goes to relationships, which is another huge part of all this. Same thing. We end up going from now looking at nine figure deals to looking at 12 figure deals. So when you talk about what's happening in the marketplace and where God's moving, looking through these deals, looking through the money and the assets and all that stuff that's involved, which is great. That's cool. But looking through that, looking at who's invested, you're looking at things where there's money going to maybe a certain government that is not going to steward it well and does not really have great intentions at times, or you're looking at assets that are going to 
markets or countries or something like that where there's a lot of questionable things and red flags and all that stuff going on. Or at the very least, you look at the amount of money that's involved here and realize that wherever it's going in the world, it's going in the world. So we have the opportunity, hundreds of millions of dollars at a time, to grab that and take it out of the world and put it back into the church, knowing that every bit of that that comes through in any sort of profit or cash flow, 10% at a minimum of the profit there and the income there is going right back to the church. So if we're talking about hundreds of millions, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars at a time, 10% of whatever profit comes through those assets and their cash flow goes right back into the church. It goes right back into funding the gospel. It goes right back into the kingdom of God. So we are literally taking this money out of the world and worldly hands and pulling it into the kingdom of God. We just had lunch a couple of days ago with some of the people involved in a lot of these things and, and who just share that vision too. And I said, you know, this is not just money. This isn't just real estate. This is war. This is our war that we get to fight. That's why this stuff excites me. That's why it gets me so fired up. Houses and apartment buildings and all that stuff and duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, the investing side for most people, that's awesome. And it can be life-changing. And that's why I love that side of it. Then you scale up to this other stuff. It's like, this is our fight. This is where we get to go every day and exercise dominion to command and subdue the earth. That's it. So that's what gets me going. A little bit passionate about it. I can tell. I can tell. I love seeing you get fired up. And it is an amazing vision. And I believe that God's going to do these things through your life. So let's fast forward 10 years from now. You're a billionaire or multi-billionaire. And one of the things that was so inspiring that you said is, as your income increases, your lifestyle doesn't necessarily have to increase. And I think that's something that you don't see very often. Even the people that are really generous, most people are still really making big lifestyle changes, which I don't necessarily think there's a problem with that. But I can tell that you have vision for coming to a point where you're saying, okay, how much of a percentage can I give off my income? And what comes next? You know, when you have this money flowing in your account, I mean, do you dump it all in the local church or are you setting up charities? Are you looking for nonprofits? I mean, talk me through that kind of world of, I don't want to say philanthropy because I know that you have a faith-based side of things, but giving, like what do you do with all that money when you acquire it? Well, I think there's some really good examples of things going on right now that I don't want to say a whole lot about, but where people are able to take that money and use it to support other Christians and Christian businesses where it can be given away into not just the local church, but also ministry organizations outside of that. And like Ligonier Ministries is one that we support already, and they constantly are sending updates and requests and all this stuff for Bibles. The huge thing that they're doing is sending out Bibles to other countries. So being able to come into something like that and go, cool, so what's the big goal? Financially, what's your really, really big goal? Okay, cool. Let me know when we're 99% of the way there. And I'm going to match all of that. So do you guys get twice as much? Or what if your church's annual budget, again, same thing, either beforehand or at the very end, and we're able to say, okay, cool. So we've got a $3.9 million operating budget for this year. You guys go ahead and do everything we normally do. Raise the money, get all the money coming in, make sure we're stewarding that well. But don't worry at the end of the year, basically, I'm going to write the check for next year. So that all of that extra money if we're a little bit short on our giving, that's fine. We'll write the check and we'll make up that gap. But then all that extra, the 90% that we weren't short, now we get to go and use and mobilize and do something meaningful with outside of the already very meaningful and impactful part of making sure this church continues to feed all the people that God's brought here and all the ministry that we already do. Let's take that another three and a half, four million, and let's figure out how to go mobilize that. So the big thing to me is just seeing there's about 17 and a half, somewhere around there, percent of the church that actually tithes, meaning a 10% giving, not even just necessarily to their local church, just 10% in general of their money going back to God who gave it to them in the first place. And the average tithe of a church members is comes out to about $887, $890. It's less than 3%. And it was 30% higher in the middle of the Great Depression than it is now for the average church going member, faithful attender, not just someone walking in and 
going to that church the first time. The people who are there every week and who are members and call themselves members, the average giving amount is under 3%. So as a church, we're being 70 to 75% disobedient and insulting and unfaithful to God. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a heart problem. It's a sin problem. But outside of that individual side of it, that means that these churches who probably plan on running by about that 10%, or at least could very well run off of that 10%, are going to be struggling. Pastors are not going to be able to simply focus on their job as a pastor, as a shepherd, because they're financially having to worry about what's happening in their church. Are the deacons and elders being taken care of? Are the ministries they're wanting to do and burdened with able to be supported? Did they need to go get an outside job? And now the pastorate kind of becomes the after hours thing. That idea of just being disobedient with our giving is a huge problem. So there's a 70% gap to be filled in how much the church should be funding missions worldwide and different global efforts, churches and parachurch ministries, all this other stuff. 70% disparity between where we should be funding it and where we really are. So my big vision for that is to see the tithe of the church multiplied 10 times in the next 20 years. That's my mission. That's where I'm at. That's the thing. Get out there and teach people how faithful God is when you're faithful. Yes, the Bible tells us he remains faithful, though we are faithless. But tithing is the one thing that God says to test him on. He does not come short. He does not ever fall short. We got down to where there was no money in our account after writing the last check, which was basically to the dollar of what we had left for what we should have tithed for the past month. And my wife knows better than to even have to ask me. She basically just told me, hey, this is what happened. And I wrote the check and I said, okay, great, thank you. And we open up the mail and there's $3,700 in it. And that was more than 10 times. It was like 12 or 15 times what we wrote that check for the tithe for. God does not fail us on that. He doesn't fail us ever. He's certainly not going to fail us on that. And the short-sightedness of people in the church, where most of us have probably been, of seeing, well, I can't afford to tithe. It's financially better for me to try to rip off God and assume that I'm going to be able to do this on my own than to simply be faithful to God and trust him to do exactly what he promises he's going to do. We've gotten into this place of fear, which goes a lot to what we always talk about on these coaching calls, the entire economic and educational system that we live in right now. But people in the church are not trusting God with what he says he's going to be faithful with. We're not obedient. And then we try to blame him if we don't have enough. Can I push back on that for a second? I mean, I heard one church leader talking about people who have had this vision to build a lot of wealth and then give it to the church. But one of the, I guess, criticisms you might say that he was seeing is that whether it's somebody in real estate or somebody that acquires businesses is your biggest advantage to making more money is all the money that you have. So rather than ever selling off all the assets and giving it to the church, people just continue to grow the nut as it were. And so they might be tithing a fair amount off of what they're actually taking out of their businesses or their homes or whatever it is. But it's very rare that even with somebody with a huge portfolio is just going to say, okay, I'm going to sell it all off and dump it into the ministry or the church, as opposed to whether it be passing on to kids and some of those things. So how do you reconcile that of holding it versus cutting ties and then giving it into the church? I think the response to that is twofold. That big vision is not me increasing the tithe of the church 10 times by me getting really, really rich. It's a movement of pushing to increase that tithe in the church by showing people what happens when you are faithful, when you are hungry, and when you continue to push and trust God to do what he says he's going to do. Leading by example, not fighting a one-man fight. Going out and showing that you can conquer and can be victorious and recruiting more or less an army, so to speak, behind that. Being an outspoken example of what that really looks like and the realities and possibilities of it. I think that's a big part of what King's Council does. And maybe not with that exact same wording or specific purpose in mind, but that's what this is. I'm seeing godly men here in front of me wearing this same t-shirt and walking around all day long with it, loving anytime somebody in the airport or wherever says, hey, I love that shirt. That's awesome. And The shirt says Jesus is King, by the way, for our listeners that can't see us on audio. The shirts, the hoodies, the jackets, the hats, everything. And Jesus is King. And when we get to walk around proclaiming that 
with our mouths and to be a walking example of that testimony. The men in this group are not claiming that and screaming it out while they go fail in the business world. That's the exact opposite. That's why this was attractive to me in the first place. That's why this all makes sense is you know what you're doing and you prove that you can be successful and you're still out there proclaiming that. So I think that's answer number one is it doesn't come from one person or a group of people just building up a ton of assets for themselves that one day are going to generate some money that they might give when they die. If we can just simply even work to increase the income of the people in the church, let's say that they do continue to remain unfaithful. We can't change their heart, but maybe we can start to change their work ethic and their idea of business and how money flows. And if you increase their income 10 times, you just increase their giving 10 times. Even if the percentages don't change and they continue to be unfaithful, at the very least, you've increased the money that's moving there. So part one of that is just getting more people involved and creating a wave out of that ripple effect, not just being the one person who's secretly going and trying to do it yourself being very loud, very outspoken, and showing that it's true and it's real and it happens. And secondly, it's interesting that somebody would say it's a problem for you to just keep growing your assets and businesses and all this other stuff. But what's the point of getting assets and businesses and storing up all those things? They all make money. So the more of them you get, the more cash flow you have, which means the more you're giving every single time. If the expectation is that if you have a bunch of assets, then therefore you should be giving 80%, not 10%. Okay, well, that person is going to stop growing their assets real quick because they're not going to have any ability to do it. The more of these assets you get, the more of these businesses that you own, these vehicles that make money and build cash flow and provide options and resources, the more of those options, resources, cash flow you can give and mobilize and put in other places. Yes, you're going to grow it a whole lot faster if you just focus on keeping everything to yourself and leveraging 100% of everything you have as much as humanly possible and not allowing any of it to actually cash flow to where you can take and give that money. But if you kind of split that, and let's say you're being super generous, let's say you got a 30% profit margin in a bunch of these businesses that you operate, and you give 15%, you're going beyond being faithful to what God calls us to do. You're doing 150% of what God requires. At the same time, you're retaining 15% of your cash flow that you can then use to go build and leverage other businesses, other assets. It's not wrong to continue growing that. I mean, the only thing that's wrong really is to not be giving 10% of whatever you make. It's not wrong to continue growing all those assets and all those other things. Yes, the reason that you're able to walk into that room and walk through some of these other bigger doors is because you just came through a pretty big one the last time. Yeah, the reason you're able to exercise more value in the marketplace is because you already have more wealth and more personal value. That's not wrong. You have to play that game to keep climbing that ladder. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that's maybe somebody that just looked at it as going, well, if you're really successful, then you're being really greedy. Well, if you have a lot of things, then that's wrong and you shouldn't be doing that. I don't know if that's that person's intention and what they were saying, or maybe I'm misunderstanding that, but it just kind of sounds like maybe somebody that doesn't understand the business side of all that. Yeah, I want more cash flowing assets because each one generates more cash flow. So the more cash flowing things I have, the more I have to be able to give away. If I stop generating more, I've capped myself. I can give away 100% this year, but I just missed out on the 30% I could give away for the next 50 years. It's always going to grow and be more if you keep growing. it. If you cap yourself off, you're going to hit that point where you stopped being effective and your ability to give anything is going to be so much lower. Yep, I hear what you're saying. Maybe some of the wealthiest people aren't necessarily the biggest tithers in the church because their main focus is growing their assets as opposed to if they sold off all their assets, they would be able to give a large sum. And I think I hear what you're saying on, you know, obviously if you have more cash flow, it's going to pay off over 50 years, especially if you're being faithful to it. But is there that other side of the coin of, let's say that you have a portfolio of a billion dollars and you're only taking 300K and so you're tithing off that 300K that you're living off of. I think there was maybe that sense of not necessarily frustration, but just kind of a shrugging of your shoulders and saying, well, yes, you have this massive portfolio, but the church will never actually really see that because anytime you get more money, you just go out and buy more real estate. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. And one, looking at all those statistics, 
the wealthier people gave a lot more statistically and still do give a lot more than the people that have less. So looking at the actual numbers across the country, it's kind of the inverse. People who were faithfully tithing and had higher incomes were giving close to double, close to 20%, not giving the 2.5%. So the higher the income went, drastically higher was the percentage of giving. I don't think that I would agree with that because the numbers just don't show that that's the case. But let's look at a specific example. So we'll use hotels because right now (laughs) that's the space that my head's in right now. So if you go buy this cash flowing asset, this great hotel that makes a lot of money, you pay a hundred million for it right now. So what would the suggestion be? That you buy it for a hundred million, you maybe sell it next year for like 110, then you're able to give 10.5 million. That's cool. It's great. But what if this thing cash flows 3 million a year and you're giving 300,000 a year? So every 10 years, you've given 3 million. Well, in reality, here's what's going to happen. That asset's going to continue to grow in value a lot over time. And the cash flow is going to continue to grow in value a lot over time. So you're going to get to the point where you can steadily give 10 million a year off the income of that asset every year, not one year, or even if you're giving 5 million a year. Okay, so it takes two years and you've given as much as that person would have wanted you to give by selling that asset in a financially unwise way as far as investing goes, like that doesn't make any sense. You can get to the point where you can give way more. It's just going to take a couple more years. So if I give three million, three million, three million, three and a half, four million, four and a half, five and a half, five, your cash flow continues to grow. And in the meantime, that asset grows to be worth a lot more money. So you bought it for a hundred million this year, 20 years later, maybe you sell it for six hundred million. Okay, so did you want me to give the 10.5 million or did you want me to give the 40 million I was able to give over the lifetime of ownership plus the other 60 million I can give now from selling it? I hear what you're saying, and I'm playing the devil's advocate a little bit because I want to draw these good answers out of you because I am really loving this. But because what you're saying is that you're tithing off the cash flow. And so I think what this person was arguing is that a lot of people don't tithe off the cash flow. They're only tithing off of what they're putting in their pocket. So even if it's cash flowing 3 million, you're not tithing 300,000 because maybe you're only living off of whatever X number per year. So you're really inevitably tithing a much, much smaller percentage of that. Right. So what I'm talking about is actual net operating income. So income after expenses, after everything, you're pocketing 3 million a year you're going to give 300000 off that. Again, if you're being faithful. If people aren't being faithful, it doesn't matter how much or how little they have. Making sure that I'm understanding this, doesn't it seem like a lot of people wouldn't pocket the $3 million? They would flip that $3 million into other deals and they would just say, well, I didn't take $3 million out because I took that $3 million and I went and bought more assets. And some of that depends on how you view your tithing. Do you give off the gross or do you give off the net? So that's a whole other conversation. I'm in the give off the gross crowd. But let's say that you did. If your expectation is like really anyone wise probably would be, if I can take this money and go get a greater return for it over there, then sure, I'm going to do it. So again, is it really that bad for you to take that money and go invest it in something else that makes even more money? Either way you look at it, if this person expected somebody to take their assets, sell them all off and tithe everything at once, that's cool. But there's a thing called inflation. So you just gave a dollar that's worth a dollar today. Well, in five years, that dollar's not worth a dollar anymore. But you still got what it was worth back then. So what if right now I can put the dollar in when it's worth a dollar and through inflation of money, the dollar amount goes up and that asset I bought goes up in value. But my investment amount stayed right here. So I can give you this much right now or I can wait and I can give you this much right now. In my mind, it's the 10 talents is a big example of this. Great, so I just bought this thing for 10 talents. Now you want me to sell it and go give a talent back. How about I invest it and I can give yeah. 15 talents back yeah. instead of one? And if I continue doing this over and over and over again, I'm going to be selling things that are worth a lot more money in a much shorter amount of time. So this dollar amount you wanted me to give here, I could do 10 times that much in a relatively short amount of time by continuing to invest that money. I'm going to get to the point where my net worth would be high enough to go, sure, I'll just give $100 million this year. And I don't have to sell the thing that I bought for $100 million. I can keep that and give the money. So that's kind of that whole mindset. People are looking at investment and this use of money and use of capital, especially within the church and by Christians, as kind of a negative thing. Well, you could give away all that money. Well, yes, I could, or I can grow it and give a whole lot more. 
by not just jumping the gun and giving everything away right now. Right. I can do a whole lot more with this and I can make sure that I'm going to be able to do it every year for the next 20 years, not just do it one year. And now all of a sudden this fruit that was there this year is not going to be there next year. So maybe your ministry gets to have this huge influx of capital and you get to do one really great thing this year. What if I could become a faithful ministry partner with you and through my investing, through my stewarding my assets, well, go, hey, that's really cool. I want you to be able to do it every year for the rest of my life. So let's just do that instead. If someone was doing that with that pastor, if some guy came along and said, hey, I heard your sermon. I just kind of wanted to show you what can really happen here. By the way, I'm going to pay your church's annual budget out of my excess cash flow from all my businesses that I'm not going to sell. And I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. Would you rather me do that? Or do you want me to just write a check to you one time right now and we'll part ways and good luck? It probably changes tune and go, oh, got it. So you can actually do both and do it more effectively by not just selling everything all at once. If the issue is greed in someone's heart, it doesn't matter what they give. Elon Musk could give everything that he can possibly give and sell every bit of liquid asset and interest in every company and stock that he has and give 100% of it. Does that bring any glory to God? Does that honor God? Or at the core of it, is there going to be a selfish, flesh, personal reason for why that was done? It's not going to give God any glory. It's not steward anything for the kingdom. If someone goes and writes a big check today, I don't think that's as wise and honorable to God as giving what they can. God is a God of giving and growth. When you look at the people of Israel, he blessed the people of Israel and the kings of Israel with so much wealth. Here's the really interesting part to me. It wasn't just wealth from within the people of Israel's pockets. It wasn't just wealth that God gave them internally. He gave them favor in the eyes of man. When they were building temples, when Solomon built his, look at how many people from other countries that were not God-fearing men, or they were, but they weren't Christians. They were the God-fearers in a different sense. They were shipping boatloads of timbers. They were giving gold. They were giving silver. They were giving precious metals. They were donating labor because they saw that God was real. They saw what he was doing, and they saw what was happening in the kingdom of Israel. And they knew, if nothing else, I don't want this guy against me. I will have mercy upon whom you will have mercy. I love it, Brian. God's promise to the fathers of Israel that those who are your enemies are my enemies. Those who are your friends are my friends. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's what I was looking for. So I believe is a big part of that. When we steward those things well, we're not only going to see the increase of the people in the church growing their net worth and thereby growing the opportunities and the ability they have to give. We're going to see people outside of that going, dude, what are you doing? It's different. What in the world are you doing? How do I partner with you on this thing? How do I get involved in that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head that it always is going to come back to our heart, even as us kind of going back and forth a little bit, because there are people out there that will always kick the giving can down the road and say, well, but in another 10 years, I'll be able to give a ton. And 10 years comes and they say, yeah, but in another 10 years, I'll be able to give even more and in another 10 years. And it's just always kicking it down the road and never actually translates to giving. But I think your heart and the way that you would steward those funds would be totally different from somebody that really doesn't ever have an intention to give, but has an intention just to build their own empire. So yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like I said, I just wanted to prod you a little bit because I think people need to talk to people like you to start to change their mindsets a little bit. I want to kind of ask those tough questions that I think sometimes Christians have to wrestle with. And obviously, I think we would both agree that within it all, the Holy Spirit always gets precedence over everything that makes sense to us. So if the Holy Spirit does say, hey, I want you to do this, even if it doesn't make sense, then he has the right and ability to tell us what size check we need to write in any given moment. And yeah, that's the whole idea. If you're not being faithful for the 10 years that you're growing that net wealth or that net amount that you're one day going to be able to give, I mean, that's great. But were you faithful every year along the way? If not, then it doesn't matter. You've still got 10 years of (laughs) disobedience behind you. It's an important thing that we all need to remember in so many different ways. You're staying above reproach. Somebody comes and challenges you. Okay, great. Do you want to see my financial statements that show I tithed 10% at least every single year? And if that argument comes up of, I remember in Bible college, someone 
getting upset that T.D. Jakes was building such a big house. And the professor goes, okay, so why do you think that's wrong? Well, he has so much. He shouldn't be spending it on stuff for himself. He should be giving a ton of that away. He could donate all that money. He already has a house. On and on and on and on. And the professor goes, okay, how many pairs of underwear do you have? What are you talking about? He says, yeah, how many pairs of underwear do you have? Five, 10, 15? Hope it's more than five. We got classes five days a week and you go to church. You better have more than five. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I probably got 15 pairs of underwear. Well, what's wrong with you? Don't you know there are people that don't even have underwear in this world and you're sitting here with 10 clean pairs in your drawer every single day? What's your problem? And that's the whole entire idea. You don't get to say that somebody else should be giving a whole lot more than what they are right now, even when they're being faithful, just because you think it's easy for them to do it. Because anybody else can come to you and say the same thing. How many times did you eat out this week? Well, obviously that's wrong. You should have donated all of that money. You have more than one pair of shoes and socks and more than one shirt. Well, you're being sinful. Never mind that you may tithe 10, 15, 20, or like some people we know 40% every single year. It doesn't balance out like that. We don't get to call out the distribution of wealth within the church. God did that. That's already taken care of. All we need to worry about is being faithful, encouraging everyone else to be generous. Be faithful and encourage everyone else to be generous. Well, Brian, I'm sure we could chat about this for another couple hours. I have so appreciated this uh, this <laughs> conversation, getting to know you, getting to know your heart, really. If people have connected with your story and let's say somebody actually wants to work with you or connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? The two best ways are just very direct. Always prefer relationships, like I kind of alluded to earlier. Everything that's happened now and with where I am is just by building personal relationships with people. The best way to do that with me, just give me a call or a text. My cell number is 407-221-7943. Again, that's 407-221-7943. And my email is pretty simple, KVI, like Kevin Victor Indigo, KVI Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, at iCloud.com. So KVI Realty at iCloud.com or 407-221-7943. Not afraid to do that because I don't think my phone's going to blow up too much, but if it did, I would be overjoyed. The next step is just talking to anybody that's interested in maybe doing some investing, moving some capital into some things for the kingdom. Believe me, there's a lot of stuff out there right now. So if that's what you're looking to do, there are some incredibly good ways to get it mobilized right now and really take some big territory. I mean, we're talking about things and names that every person who would listen to this would instantly recognize. And there's ability to take ownership and control and stewardship of these big household names and some really major assets out there. And it doesn't have to be that big. Maybe you just want to take some of your money and put it to use and get some interest on it. There's ways to look at doing that passively as well. It doesn't have to be these big, broad strokes. So I say if you're looking at six figures or above that you'd like to invest somewhere and not even necessarily buy an asset with it, there's good ways that we can mobilize that. Some things we're working on with a couple other good brothers in King's Council right now to start doing that in areas that they're very well versed and very much experienced. And again, on the other side, maybe you're used to a lot more long-term stable investment assets and there are too many opportunities to even sit here and talk about for another 55 minutes and 46 <laughs> seconds. It would take way longer than that. So yeah, guys, there's so much opportunity out there. God is providing in still unbelievable ways for everybody that's involved in this stuff. So to anybody out there that's listening and maybe wondering what's going on in the world or not having a whole lot of faith for where everything is right now or for what the future looks like, just be encouraged. God has plans to prosper and not to harm us. And he controls everything. Our God holds the entire world in his hands. And the things that are blowing my mind right now are just him dropping a couple grains of sand in front of us just to see what he truly holds, how much he can do with yes. a thought. So there's no room for discouragement here. There's only room for growth, for encouragement, for boldness, for strength, and for thanksgiving to our God for what he is doing and how he's moving to open a door for us to do exactly what we were called to do originally in the garden, to exercise dominion, to command and subdue the earth. We are here and there's a time to be able to make moves and take territory and steward things in very big ways. Again, to go back to these fathers of Israel, these were men of wealth and of means. They had land and they had livestock. And that was the commodity back then. 
That's how you traded things. Your wealth was based off how much territory you physically controlled. And we're not far off from speaking those same languages right now with everything that's happening. So be encouraged, keep your head up and, and be grateful to God for all that he's doing and get involved with it. Don't just sit back passively and wonder about what you could be able to do. Talk to somebody, get on a call here with Caleb, start getting involved with groups like this and specifically this with King's Council, because I don't know that there is another one like it, even though I say like this. Man, there's so much going on here to just be able to be a part of in the big vision that's being executed every single day, just in the relationships here. Well, Brian, you are definitely somebody that is making moves, taking territory, and it's just been fun to watch the miraculous ways that God is honoring your faithfulness. One of the things you said earlier is that it often is the highest income earners that are giving the most. And we could have gone down a whole nother conversation on that, you know, of whether they have the money first and then they are generous, or if it's that God actually blesses those that he knows will be generous. And I think I would argue potentially the latter, that God is faithful with those that are faithful to him. I think there's a scripture there that God says, I will honor those that honor me. But like I said, we could chat a lot longer. But Brian, it has been an absolute joy and privilege to have you on the podcast. And yeah, appreciate your time. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much, man. It's been fun. And let's do something again here soon. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Caleb Spittler, and we will catch you on the next episode of The Chosen Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Chosen Podcast, powered by The King's Council. If you loved what you heard, give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcast. You can also watch this podcast and much more on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash King's Council Coaching.